Kitchen to the Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Barron, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Barron's 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Well, welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen Show, and you're listening to episode four. And today, we're just going to give our top 10 takeaways from our experience on a zero-carb, all-meat diet. Now, these are in no specific order. We just sat down and jotted down what came off the top of our head, the top 10 things we thought that we took away from the diet, and we thought that would be most important for people to know. Yeah. Do you want to start with number one? Again, no particular order. (laughs) (laughs) So number one on our list that we found out was you don't really need to eat fruits and vegetables. As much as that has been pushed down your throat uh, from when you're a child until you're an adult, that you have to have a colorful plate, you have to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, we found out that in our diet, if it, it's not necessary. It hasn't been. And you know, when I was a kid growing up, I, I just know every night at dinner, we always had so many side dishes. Like there would be corn, green beans, pinto beans, macaroni and cheese, and there would be some meat in there. And now I just realize, well, of course, half of those are carbs and starchy carbohydrates. I think the green beans might have been okay, but I don't need any of that. When I was a kid, the only vegetable I would eat was green beans. Everything else was uh, not negotiable. I just would not eat it. So I was a meat eater when I was a kid. That's all I wanted to eat. And looking back on it, that makes sense that I didn't like a lot of vegetables. Uh, my parents tried to force me to eat them all the time. So uh, the dinner table was a source of anxiety for me. Right. And that, that makes it difficult if you're, you know, anxious about what, what dinner is going to be or what vegetables you have to eat. I think the worst for me was uh, growing up and having to eat canned spinach, any kind of peas, and cooked carrots. Those were the things that I just couldn't stand. And now I get to not eat those at all because, A, I'm an adult and I make my own decisions. But I know I know that I don't need them now. Well, and if you're a parent and you have a, a child that only likes to eat meat, then you should be okay with it. You, you don't have to force them to eat so many vegetables with every meal and feel guilty that if they didn't eat their vegetables. Or like my parents, they always told me to you know clean your plate. You had to eat everything on your plate. That's a form of brainwashing because now as a as a 47-year-old adult male, if you put a huge plate of food in front of me, I'm going to eat it all. I know. I do that. <laughs> so another thing that I heard this week, I heard Amber O'Hearn, who she has been doing this style of carnivore diet for, I think, over eight or nine years. It's been a long time. I'm not 100% on the time frame. But she made a comment about children and said, why do you think so many children have this aversion to vegetables, you know, it's not just irony. Right. Naturally, children don't just love to eat vegetables. They will easier eat a bunch of meat. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because that does tie into the science, which is what a lot of people really want you to get down to is what's the science behind this? 
And there's some really good information on Dr. Georgia Eads' website called Diagnosis Diet, where she does talk about plant toxins. And you can actually research on YouTube and see some of her uh, lectures. I think one of them was the Ancestral Health Symposium, where she talks about the toxic uh, elements in plants and how that can be really problematic for some people. And I think it's just super interesting because a lot of times that's something that kids don't enjoy are the vegetables. I did read somewhere a doctor said you should never feed a child under six any spinach. Well, you know, that's interesting because we did talk about that a little bit before. I know you and I talked about it, about spinach having a large amount of iron, but it's not an absorbable form of iron. It's non-heme iron. So when you ingest that, your body has a really hard time breaking it down and getting to that iron and converting it to an absorbable form, whereas our meats and our dairy products and things like that that have some iron in them, it's all bioavailable. So number two on our list is what? Okay, so you know this is my favorite subject. Poop. You do not get constipated or compacted on a carnivore or zero-carb diet. I can't tell you how many videos I watched of somebody, usually of the vegan you know, persuasion, persuasion, who said, if you eat too much meat, it's going to get compacted in your colon and you're going to get diverticulitis. Right. So, you you know, the um, movie Beverly Hills Cop, right? We I've lo- seen it. We loved Love it. it. Love it. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> We've seen that was, it. That was a horrible Eddie Murphy. That was really bad, but <laughs> we're going to skip over. Maybe I'll cut that out. I used to do a really good Eddie Murphy laugh. I can't do it now. I'm not going to try. But in that movie, they make a a fictional character, I think, is reading a paper, and the statement is that by the time someone is 50 years old, they have five pounds of undigested red meat in their colon. Well, there's no scientific proof of that, and that was an urban legend that developed from a movie where you also shoved a banana in a tailpipe of a police car and disabled it, which is also something we know doesn't work. So the fact that people think we get constipated or compacted from uh, animal products like beef are just silly. It is silly. And the, the truth is, is that most meat, when you eat it, or I want to say most, all meat, is once it leaves your stomach, it is almost in a complete liquid form. It is. It's like pea soup. So the only thing that gets uh, stuck and compacted in your colon are fruits and vegetables, not meat. So along with that, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, you, you don't get constipated. That leads to our next point, which is you don't need fiber. Yeah, that, that was something that I was really concerned about because as a nutritionist, I look at food as medicine and I don't want to tell someone to do something or to even do something myself that's going to compromise my health. So my first big question was, don't we need fiber? I remember, you know, as a kid when we would be eating, my dad would tell me to eat certain things uh, like the skin of a potato or the peel of the apple because he would say, you need the roughage. And that's the fiber. You know, we're talking about the fiber. And so I just grew up with that in my head. I see where he got it now. But as I've learned a lot more, I've learned that that fiber being indigestible is actually what causes some people... 
um, that digestive dysbiosis or gas pains, you know, we're talking gas pains, bloating, um, just discomfort and bowel movement issues where they do get constipated and compacted. Yeah, if you eat too much fiber or the wrong kind of fiber, it will mess up your digestive system. Yeah, you know, this week there was a video that I watched that was sort of a rebuttal against uh, the way we're eating. And I understand everyone's varying opinions on diet, but his name is Mike Mutzel. And on his YouTube channel, he talks about fiber at the end of this video, and he says that you need fiber to draw water into the colon to uh, basically move your bowels. The one thing that we have found with this diet is that we have no issues with our bowels moving. <laughs> you actually have the opposite problem, especially when you first start, because your microbiome is going to change. You're feeding it different bacteria, so it's going to change. What happened to me was it went to just straight water. Right, me too. And there was no issue with knowing, oh, do I need to go to the bathroom? It was like, hey, it's time. You better get there. Don't trust a fart. <laughs> don't Never trust a fart. You guys know that. You never trust but a fart. But here's the thing. You don't fart on this diet. There's no gas. There is no gas. So if, if you're not taking a lot of fiber, you're not going to get all the gas. You're not going to get uh, bloated, which is another one of our points down here is you you don't get bloated on this diet. A lot of the people that we talk to who eat a lot of carbohydrates, grains, they often complain of after they eat, they get very bloated. Right. So I was in this group for a while, a long time ago, because I wanted this workout program. And I got it, and it's this group of women. And they're very high-carb people, which most bodybuilders are. And... What they promoted in the site was a lot of carbohydrates. It was like 200 and something grams of carbs or more per day, depending. Anyway, it was a lot of carbs. And the main complaint in this forum was digestive bloating, like belly bloat and like severe belly bloat, like painful. And I wanted to just say, just take out the carbs and it'll get better. But I would have gotten kicked out and I wouldn't have gotten the workout. So I stayed in and I just saw the comments and passed them by. And most people would give the advice of just eat more carbs and it'll get better. And I was like, ah, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know those are groups that are hard to stay in because... You see what's going wrong, and you want, and you try and tell them. I've been kicked out of Facebook groups because I've told people carbs are not essential. You don't have to eat them, and people think that I just I I walked in their house with the a whole jug of gasoline and I'm gonna set it on fire. They freak out. <laughs> I know, and it's just interesting because I always had bloating after I would eat, and it was to the point because where I would sometimes just think I just don't even want to eat because I know that my stomach is gonna hurt. I'm going to have this bloating, and I would always get travel belly, too, anytime we traveled. And I've noticed that when we went camping, when we when I went to Austin recently and was gone for a few days, I didn't have any trouble. I, I, I'm like clockwork now, and it's easy. There's no pain. There's no bloat. I can, I can actually eat my food now, and I could go out and work out. I'm... I don't suffer bloating at all after a meal, which has been really almost miraculous. You feel a lot cleaner. Like you don't have the problem with bloating or 
digestive problems. It just makes you feel a lot cleaner and healthier. Like, how did you feel before when you were the snack monster, Steve? <laughs> I I did have some uh, digestive issues, and I, and I did get bloated because I was constantly putting food into my body, whether it was chips or cookies or crackers. I was always putting something in because I thought I was hungry when really I just, I was uh, hypoglycemic. Yeah. Because I ate so much, my blood sugar would fluctuate. So I confused hunger with, with low blood sugar. And that's something that I think we talked about last time that I did too. Um, I know that a lot of people, if they've listened or if they know you, they know that you were in the military and you had deployments or you would be gone out in the field for a long time. And your main source of food a lot of times was a cliff bar, right? We took a lot of cliff bars or uh, tried to strip out, you know, uh, MREs, meals ready to eat, try mm-hmm. to strip them down and just take the main, uh, main meal. You always struggle with that because you knew you're just going to be really hungry for about three days. And when you were out like that and you would eat that kind of food, would you have digestive discomfort while you were trying to operate on a mission? Cliff bars didn't bother me that bad, and that was really a lot of what I ate. Cliff bars and those um, those Nature Zone granola bars. You you always took something that was packaged and, and easily uh, eaten. Nothing you know you couldn't prepare anything. Right. But uh, you really, the first day was the hardest. And after you got past the first day, you could almost go without eating. Right. Would you say you probably got into like ketosis? Because that's when you started making ketones. You got into ketosis and your body was using that alternative fuel. Yeah. So you kind of mitigated that hunger by being hungry and then making ketones almost like a fast. Right. Exactly. Just like a fast. Yeah. Well, and... The funny thing is, is most people, we talked about it, that hangry feeling, being hangry is not actually hungry. Being hangry Mm -hmm. is low blood sugar problems. So if you're listening to this and you get hangry, you're not, it's not because you're hungry. It's because your blood sugar has gotten way too low. When you're eating this type of diet, your blood sugar does not fluctuate. Well, of course it does, but it doesn't fluctuate in the peaks and valleys that it normally does if you eat a high hard carbohydrate diet. Right. Um, blood sugar was a huge problem for me. Um, you know, like I said before, in one of our episodes, being a baker in one of my previous jobs and starting the morning with that buttercream frosting. So sugar first thing in the morning, and then you have the spike and then a crash. And I would have times where my vision would get blurry. And that's when I really knew this is a real problem. When you start getting tingling in your toes or blurred vision, you're having a, a real issue with blood sugar. That's like pre-diabetic, getting getting into the scary zone. And this has taken all of that away. It has, because we test our blood sugar. We have a keto mojo, so we test our ketones and we t- test our blood sugar. So what we would do is we would test our blood sugar before we ate and see what it was, and then we tested again at an hour, and at two hours, oh, there goes there goes a motorcycle. Riding a motorcycle. And what that would show is again what what your blood sugar was before you ate an hour and two hours, and our blood sugar did not fluctuate as much as clearly as it did when we we're eating a, a carbohydrate diet. Right, and you know some people would wonder about gluconeogenesis if you're eating this carnivore style diet. 
And I hear this term thrown around a lot in the ketogenic community. And what I was taught as a nutritionist and what I've researched is that gluconeogenesis is A, a very slow process in the body, and that it is demand-driven. So if you have your body is making the proper amount of glucose every day, your, your body does that. You have no need to take in carbohydrates. And you're eating an adequate amount of protein, then the gluconeogenesis, I don't think, is the big scare that it needs to be for people. Unless you're severely insulin resistant or a type 2 diabetic, this might be more of an issue. But for most people, you're just not gonna you're not gonna make a steak into sugar. That's a difficult process, like you said. So it's not like you're going to eat uh, too much protein and all of a sudden you're going to have the same blood sugar problems you had before eating carbohydrates. It just doesn't work that way. And we've we've really tested that, like you said, with testing our blood ketones, our blood glucose after a meal. And I've eaten like a one-pound steak, almost. I don't know if I've ever eaten a whole pound at one time, but I have come close, maybe more like Okay, more like 10 ounces or 12 ounces. <laughs> and that's quite a bit of steak for someone who's 5'2". And I would test my blood sugar after I did, I think the last time I did, um, an hour after and then two hours after, which is the standard. And I didn't see any spike in blood glucose, which was really interesting because I had that concern that eating this steak is going to be basically the same thing as if I ate a chocolate cake. <laughs> it's not quite the same. No, but, you know, there's people that say that out there. Well, people say a lot of things. That leads us to point six on our list, that eating this type of diet is not going to be as high of a protein diet as you think it would be because that was one of my concerns. I thought, man, if we're going to be eating all meat, my protein is going to be way higher than my fat. I thought that too, and I thought, you know, I'm probably going to be at like a 50% protein, 50% fat, and what I figured out from actually tracking it for a week, which I, like I said in our last episode, I hated doing that because it makes me feel like I'm on a diet, and I was a dieter for a long time, and I never want to feel that way again, but I tracked it for science's sake. And <laughs> we got we get a lot of questions about it, so we have to have the data to back it up. Right. So I tracked it for data purposes only. And we were staying at 75% protein. I mean, <laughs> 75% fat and 25% protein, which I thought was pretty good considering we're eating all animal products and mostly our fat is the fat from the steaks or the meat that we're eating. Um some pork fat and butter, egg yolks, things like that. Um, We have used a little bit of coconut oil. So I'm not going to say we've been strict carnivore. We have been very, we have been zero carb because I have a couple of times used some coconut oil and that was quite a bit of fat too. You know, people will ask you, how do you get that much fat? We use a lot of butter. Like you said, our, our eggs have a lot of butter in them. We put butter on our steak. If I'm eating a steak and I feel and I feel like it's lean, I will make sure I add extra butter to get the extra fat. We call it steak frosting. We call it steak frosting because that's what it is. 
you know, and it's so good to let that Kerrygold butter kind of sit out for a few minutes while you're cooking your steak and then to put it on top of your steak, just like you're frosting a piece of cake. It's so good. And just let it melt and eat it as you go. And, you know, I think that brings us to our point number seven, that it doesn't get boring. It doesn't get boring. That's the other question we get a lot is, is won't you get bored eating that way? Now, you have to understand, we usually only eat two meals a day. So it's not like we're eating three meals a day of the same food. No, but we do eat a lot of the same stuff over and over again, which I thought would get boring. But then I realized I was eating the same stuff over and over again on a keto diet, too. We were having fathead pizza every Friday night. We were having the same thing for breakfast every Saturday. We were eating keto pancakes every Sunday morning. So we ate the same foods over and over on our our regular can I call it a standard keto diet now? <laughs> <laughs> on our old keto diet? Yeah, our regular standard keto diet. And now on the carnivore diet, we kind of do the same thing. We fall into patterns. Everyone does. And we've talked to many people about their diets when we, we try to try to fix them nutritionally and, and health-wise. We and try to fix people. Try to fix people. <laughs> but what you always find is they eat the same things over and over again. I always think it's funny when they say, well... How am I going to do this if I'm having to eat like keto? It because it seems like I'm going to be eating the same things over and over again, and then they give me the list of food that they've been eating, and they're eating the same sandwich every day for lunch. The same, the same cereal every the morning. Cereal, mm. yeah, or or a banana and yogurt every day for breakfast. We used to be that way as well. We ate the same cereal every single morning. I did. I ate the cashew-goline protein cereal because... It was hey, high Hey, that's protein. healthy, high in protein, and it's got some fiber, and that's good for me, right? It had a lot of fiber. Okay, when we talk about gas, that cereal was the worst for... <laughs> no, no, the worst for gas were the fiber bars. What, is that what they oh, were? Oh, yeah, fiber one. The fiber one bars. Oh, my gosh. I thought they were, yeah, again, it's fiber, so it's healthy. Mm, no, not so much. Is it healthy to clear a room every time you walk in? <laughs> I don't know. When people pass out when you enter, that's probably not a good sign. Well, you would eat one of those, and within a few minutes, you're like, you could start to feel the bubbles, the rumbly guts rolling through there, and you're like, man, I have to find the bathroom, and i got to find it fast. I need a private area to release this. <laughs> And associating that digestive discomfort with health is wrong. I, you know, I always thought, okay, this is, like you said, it's fiber. It's good for me. We're having this cereal in the morning, and then we're having uh, whole grains at lunch, and then more whole grains with our dinner. And you have that, that horrible gas pain feeling, and you're like, I'm supposed to be feeling healthy. And it's just not working. Maybe it's time for a change. And when we did change, all that stuff started going away. And I will say now, that is just not even a factor in my life anymore, which makes life so pleasant. It, it does. It makes it easier. It makes it easier to work out. It makes it easier to just feel healthy. You just feel a lot, lot better when you don't have all that fiber in your diet. Right. And we're supposed to be talking about it being boring, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I keep getting off on gas. Sorry. 
I, you know what? I don't apologize for that. It's really important. It was a huge part of our existence. So, so it doesn't get boring. And, no. and that's And so you don't really have to worry about that. The uh, next point we have here, point number eight, is we're going to talk about cravings. And, the, the, you know, as we talked about, you know, it being boring, the feeling of, of missing out or, I, gee, I wish I had this food kind of feeling. Do you ever feel that way? I don't. I don't. It seems like it's so weird when you're when I'm getting eggs and sausage every day, which I love, and then you're eating a steak every evening, which I love as well. For me, it's just really hard to sit down and go, I'm bored of this. Yeah, or the hamburgers, like the really fatty, thick burger patties cooked out on the grill. It's hard to get bored with that. I or, or to get tired of that. Yeah, to get tired of it because the food is so satisfying. And so since you feel so satisfied, do you find that you have cravings? I know you're a guy and that that's not really part of most men don't really cop to having cravings for like desserts and stuff like that. Compared to what I was before we started keto and before we went to this type of diet, my cravings were out of control as far as like, oh, I need a bag of Doritos or I want a bag of Fritos. Oh, I need some vanilla wafers or my little crackers with the peanut butter on them. Yes, I crave those. So you compare how that was in to now where the only time I get a slight craving, I eat some pork rinds and it's gone. I know. I used to stock your... Steve snack monster pantry. <laughs> so I know it was like a whole shelf of snack foods. And I would think, I thought that girls were supposed to be snackers more than guys, but you kind of, you kind of always won on that one. I, I didn't snack. I don't think as much as you did, but when I did have something, I craved something like a brownie with ice cream and, and chocolate. Yeah. I craved chocolate. And I, I don't hardly, I will say I have had one or two pieces of chocolate since we've been doing this for over 70 days now. Um, I don't feel bad about that. I don't feel guilty about that. I had it when I wanted it. It was 90% chocolate, dark chocolate. I don't have any regrets. Um, But before, a craving for me would have been a bowl of ice cream with a warm brownie and a bunch of chocolate ganache all over it that I made and then I would sit down to try to watch a movie with you and you would turn it on the credits would come on or the opening (laughs) scene would come on and then I would ask you at the end of it so what happened and I would have been asleep the entire time fell asleep in just about every movie we ever tried to watch on the couch every single one every single time And I thought, man, she's just really tired. I was really tired. I was having like a full-blown sugar episode. (laughs) It was terrible. So that's another uh, awesome point is it cuts down the cravings. And we just don't keep that food in the house anyway. So even if I wanted a bag of Doritos, we don't have it. No, we don't. And I'm honestly amazed by the cravings being gone because... Normally, I could be at an event. Let's say you go to a birthday party and there's birthday cake. Even if it's the junky birthday cake from a grocery store that you know is full of chemicals, I would have a hard time saying no to that because of the sugar cravings. And now I see it as the chemical poo storm that it is. And 
I just don't want that. And I never have a craving to have anything like that. That is a definite uh, bonus because fighting cravings is what most people deal with. So since we eat all carnivore style now, zero carb, have you had any cravings for fruits or vegetables? No, I've never. This is just me and in general lifetime, I don't crave fruits and vegetables. I never have. Yeah, I thought it would be a problem for me. And I I just haven't really felt the need for it. I was really surprised by that because I did grow up eating a lot of fruit. Um, and as an adult, like I've said before, if the kids would say, you know, had a paper that said, what's your mom's favorite food? It would always say salad. That's what their answer was because they saw me eat so many vegetables. And I just thought I would have these massive cravings or pine away for a big salad. And so far, it hasn't happened. I really enjoy not having the digestive discomfort that would come with eating a lot of vegetables for me. So when we're ta- we talk about reducing cravings, that leads us to our next point, point number nine, which is overeating. Now, people who have cravings, often when they cave in to those cravings, they overeat. Right. And it's easy to overeat when you're a sugar burner. It's easy to eat a bag of Doritos. It's so easy to eat a bag of Doritos. Oh, man. When I was like in junior high and high school, I could put away a whole bag of Doritos for sure. As an adult, I grew to have more self-control than that. I would make myself put them up. Now, one of the things that I have to work on as an adult is not to feel like I have to eat everything on my plate because I was brainwashed to do that as a kid. You had to eat everything on your plate. I found it a lot easier eating this way to stop eating when I'm full and not finish everything on my plate. Well, you know, we talked about digestion in our last episode, and I think that one point to make here is what we practice in our daily lives, which is taking a bite of food, setting your fork down, literally taking the 30 seconds to chew that bite, and then taking the next bite. It it A, gives your body time to receive the signals that food is coming and for your brain to uh, be able to get those signals, but it also allows your body to not be rushed and you don't overeat in that way. But not eating sugar is a huge part of not overeating. Well, we take the time to eat now, and, and we covered that a lot in the last episode about taking the time to eat and preparing your body to eat. So when you start doing that, as you're eating, you will start to register that I am full. I don't need any more food. Even though the food tastes delicious, you don't have to go on. You can stop. And often I I look at it and go, I can stop eating now and save this for my next meal. Exactly. And that's that leptin signal that we get in our brain that says, hey, I've had enough. It's time to move on. I do put too much food on your plate routinely. <laughs> so she is an overfeeder. Uh, that's because she's a smother mother. Thanks. <laughs> I am a smother mother. I do overfeed people. I come from a long line of overfeeders. So uh, your, your kids will tell you you're a smother mother. That's pretty good. But that just means you care. That's all it means. It does. I, Beverly Goldberg me to death, I guess. Okay, so point number 10. We're going to get to this. This is a common myth we've talked about before is... We don't have scurvy. Did you get scurvy? I didn't get scurvy. I didn't get scurvy. And you hear that all the time. If you, Almost 
every person I talk to, when I say, yeah, I'm eating an all-meat diet, they will reply with, aren't you afraid of getting scurvy? Do most people even know what scurvy is? No, they don't. I know. They just know that sailors got scurvy, and the, the way they fixed it was they gave them fruits, and that fixed scurvy. <laughs> they, put, they put lime juice in their, in their rum. So uh, the, the reason people would get scurvy back then, it wasn't because they were not, not getting enough vitamin C. It's because they're eating too much flour and sugar, which blocks the consumption of any vitamin C. So here are some of the signs and symptoms of scurvy. Early symptoms include weakness, feeling tired, sore arms and legs. Also, without treatment, you can have decreased red blood cells, gum disease, changes to your hair, and bleeding from the skin may occur. Have you had any of that? No. No. And, and again, we test our blood, so we know we're not deficient in any any vitamins or, or minerals. Our right. hair, we talked about this last episode, seems to be growing crazy. Yeah, you haven't died or anything yet, so that's one of the one of the, that's <laughs> the first, one first indicator. Are you dead? Are no. You dead? Okay, you got it. Right. As it worsens, you could have personality changes. Hmm. Interesting. I know. So no, no scurvy. Hair is not falling out. My hair has gotten so thick and is growing so fast. I don't even. I can't even believe it. I never had like super super thin hair, but. The difference in my hair is really noticeable. And, and and speaking of hair, I was just going through this the past, you know, we've been doing this for 70 days. I've noticed that, you know, I'm a guy, I'm 47, and I have a bald spot. I call it my helicopter, my helo pad. You worry about that as a guy. And what I've started to notice, and I don't want to get too excited right now and say this is actually happening, but it seems like it's growing back. I've taken pictures, and we are keeping the data to see and I will tell you that there's some new growth there. So we're going to take pictures uh, at least once a week over the next couple of months and see if it's actually happening or I'm just uh, I'm just so excited that this might happen that I'm making it reality in my head. I don't know because I, I, I looked at it and it seems like there's some new growth there, which is really interesting and I'm not surprised. Well, we'll keep you updated. More to come on the does eating a carnivore diet make your hair grow back it definitely is making mine grow faster and thicker and my nails are still growing like weeds my skin feels a lot better i mean this my skin just feels way healthier i think you know you're just getting adequate protein and so many of us we have been told for so long in a keto diet that we need to suppress that we need to go with this lower protein approach to a ketogenic diet to be in ketosis would you say that your ketone levels have been like really stellar through this every time we've tested them on this diet it they have been Around two or higher, which and is I'm really not, good. I'm not a ketone cha- number chaser. Right. I don't care about the number. I think that doesn't really matter. But it is interesting because saying that having a little too much protein, but what do we really know is too much? I don't know what one person's threshold of protein is. I know that on days when I work out, I'm hungrier. And the big thing about this way of eating and ketogenic diet eating in general is becoming more intuitive with how you eat. And like today, we did more of a CrossFit style workout and then I ran and I found that I was a bit hungrier when it came time to eat. And I just go with that. Listening to your body. That's one of the things we tell everybody to do. 
Uh, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're not. Don't eat when you're not hungry. If you follow those basic rules, and that's hard for some people. It takes some time to listen to your body and understand that. It does. And we've said this before, and I want to just touch on this point one more time. When you go through a change in your diet and you start anything, whether it's the ketogenic diet or if you decide to go low carb, just low carb, paleo, zero carb, carnivore, you could have some issues that get worse before they get better. And a lot of times people will quit before they see the light at the end of the tunnel. And like myself, for instance, I've had some things that have just really gotten worse before they got better. I've had some skin breakouts, uh, some eczema, some different rashes that if I would have given up, I wouldn't have pushed through and gotten better. And what was happening when you change your diet, sometimes you release these toxins in your body and your body has an immune response to that. And dealing with those issues takes some patience and it takes time. And it might be good to get some support from a nutritionist um, like myself or someone in your area that can help you work through that because it is a little confusing when you're doing something that you feel is good for your body and you feel good, but you have something like a, a breakout or a rash or some digestive issues that get a little worse before they get better. Right. You're having some, some negative effects, which you can clearly associate with diet because you change your diet. But like you said, it's going to get better. You got to go through it and get to the other side. Even anyone that would go vegetarian or even vegan, uh, they would have the same issue. And, and, and we don't we don't knock being a vegetarian or being a vegan uh, because we think that's better because it's not – when you go to those types of diets, it's more of what you're not eating than what you are eating. When you eliminate flour and sugar from your diet, you're going to get healthier across the board. Absolutely. But you're not going to get scurvy, which was point number 10. Right. So back to point number 10. Back to point number 10. Neither of us died from having <laughs> scurvy, and so far – um, no personality changes that I've seen. No. And back to on that, the red blood cell count. We test our blood daily with the Keto Mojo, which shows our hemoglobin and hematocrit levels. So we can see what is going on with our red blood cells all the time. And we've been great throughout this whole process. No anomalies. So no decline in red blood cells. So that's the uh, the 10 points, and as we were making this list, we came up with one more, so you get a, a bonus point that we just started talking about today. We thought it was a great point to make, is because when you eat this way, it makes life so simple. Oh, so simple. What's the biggest thing that adult couples fight about, besides and, money? And this is everywhere, and I've see, I saw a meme just before we started this that somebody put up about figuring out where and what to eat. What did that meme say? You can love someone. Uh, What did it say? Do you remember? (laughs) I should have had it pulled up. But Uh, basically it was saying is you can love someone very much, but when it comes uh, time to decide what you need to eat, there's going to be an argument. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up because it was too funny. So just talk while I do that. The the whole, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? How many people have had that conversation in the car or before you're walking out the door trying to figure out where you want to eat or what you want to eat? When you're eating uh, this diet here, it's very simple. If you're going to go out to eat, well, it better have some really good steak or some barbecue. Yeah. That's very simple. 
Uh, if you're staying home, what are we going to have, babe? Um, I think we're going to have some steak. Some steak maybe, or a hamburger. Maybe some hamburger. Uh, I guess we feel if, you, if we felt really crazy, we might have some salmon or some shrimp. We did that the other night. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had the full meat fiesta. We had shrimp, salmon, and steak, but we split a steak. We didn't... Did you find the meme? I did. And this is from one of our friends on Facebook, Shane Davidson. Did I say his name right? Yeah, Davidson, yeah. Shane Davidson. He put this meme up that says, If two people really love each other, nothing is impossible except deciding where to eat. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so true. So... Uh, you know, we talk about in life in general, simplifying yourself. Those people that only wear, you know, one style of suit or one type of clothing or, you know, they only have, you know, two pair of pants and three shirts. That way uh, they don't have, they're not overloaded with having to make so many decisions. Right. When I was uh, cat- when I was catering as a chef, one thing that I learned from my mentors was when you're putting together a buffet menu, don't put more than three choices out. Because if you do, people lose their minds. There's just too many things to decide and you'll get stuck with um, so many things left over and you won't have enough of this one item. So three choices at maximum on a buffet, which was always, it always worked out perfectly, you know? So uh, taking stress out of your life is a, a very good thing to do, and a, a lot of people try and do that. So making food, which it, which is a decision you have to make every day, for some people three times a day, making that an easier decision will take a lot of stress out of a relationship. Mm-hmm. It general. will. And this goes back to that boredom thing where a lot of people think that they think their diet is so diverse until they write it down. And really, they're pretty boring. As, they're as boring as we are. And... So when you start on a new eating paradigm, like the carnivore diet or zero carb or even keto, then simplifying it is the best way to start. I always tell our clients, you know, start with the same basic meals every day and do that for a week or two until you really get acclimated to how your body is adjusting and how your hunger is and what you might need to add. There's the the keto train. Keto train. Here it is. Come on, one more, one more time, guy. Honk your horn. I was talking so much, I talked right over him. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's going to be it for episode 04. We covered our top 10 takeaways plus our bonus point. Um, if you have any questions about any of these, feel free to send it our way. We'd love to answer them. You can send those questions to DTK questions at gmail.com. <clears throat> Sorry, also, my throat, like had an issue there (laughs) also don't forget to uh subscribe and hit alerts and leave us a review if you have the time yep the reviews we have found out are like seriously important so if you could go in there and click five star even if you don't like us it'd be totally awesome and if you have critical things to say keep them to yourself like steve says (laughs) (laughs) all right that's it so uh go out in the world and eat all the fat Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.